The following Roadshow podcast contains strong language and listener discretion is advised. Rowers tend to use invective and colourful language to explain even the simplest points. This Roadshow podcast is no exception. Australia in one, Romania two, United States three, Great Britain, the reigning world and Olympic champions, winners of the World Cup as well, denoted by those images to the right, and then New Zealand and South Africa. So no, certainly they'll look to be best in the first 500. They like to get out in front, get their boat up to speed very quickly, which they do very well, and then look to control the race from in front as we look there. Heather Stanning moving very well in the stroke seat, backed up by Hella Glover behind. And we've consistently referred to this British combination as being uh, really the hallmark of... Uh of rowing. This is this is uh, probably one of the finest displays of, of sweep rowing that you're going to see on the course today. Uh, they're so smooth and they've been uh, so so fast for so many years now and it's uh, really fantastic uh, to see uh, the women's pair just uh, going from strength to strength. British have gone through the 500 metres two seconds over two seconds under world's best time pace which was set uh, what in Seville in 2002 course by the Romanian pair. That is a sensational first quarter by the British. And Looking to see if they could be on for a world best yeah, time. We're looking at 3.25.6.8. Of course they're well inside that as they go through the K, the thousand metre mark. If the Americans get back the overlap on the British, that'll be a fantastic achievement for them because uh, Megan Calmo and Kerry Simmons have had the British pair in their sides all season and this is the closest I think they push them. They're starting to reel the British in as they just get the overlap on the British. But it's going to be great Britain in the finish line. Looking like that is going to be a new world's best ahead of the United States. And we are underway with the first day final here today at the 2015 World Rowing Championships. Good quick start across the field. It looks like Olympic champions Great Britain are just getting their nose ahead. Really fast start for them there. Off like lightning, striking 47 off the blocks. Fastest boat on the water for that period. But this GB lead is being eroded quickly by this impressive finish from the Kiwis. And I think that this would have to be the most satisfying win for these British women. They knew they were going to have a challenge in this race with these, with the calibre of these two boats behind them. But they really haven't been challenged. It shows that they've just got so far to go. So crossing the line, world champions Great Britain win this 2015 World Championships ahead of New Zealand who takes silver. Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a role in South Africa. Passion. Great passion. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another episode of The Row Show. Uh, this is Lawrence and this is Jake and today we are bringing you Helen Glover, one of the the best uh, women's rowers of all time and uh, definitely has an incredible legacy that's left to all all rows out there to try and strive for. And she's definitely had uh, one of the 
faster rises in the sport. She's gone from zero to hero pretty quick, eh, Lawrence? Yeah, I must say, Helen was seriously impressive. The way she, she started and just rocketed up. So basically, she uh, went through a talent ID program in 2008 uh, in preparation for the London Olympics. Obviously, GB was putting in a bit of effort to, to up their game to make sure that they could deliver some results at their, their home Olympics. So through the talent ID, she got it identified and put into to rowing. She hadn't even really chosen a sport. She just went on to this like, uh, I mean, she explains it quite well uh, later on, so you'll listen. But uh, then she got put into rowing. And from 2008, she started rowing. 2009, pretty good local uh, season for her. And 2010 into to international season. She started off with a ninth place at a World yeah. Cup, then a fifth place, fifth. then World Champs second. And though that ninth and that fifth, are her only races that she ever completed uh, internationally that she didn't stand on the podium. So every race from that uh, World Champs in her first uh, year to the end of 2016 uh, on the podium and majority of them gold medals. Yeah, and I think uh, there are not a lot of guests on the show that we've spoken to that have had such a meteoric rise in the sport. Um, And I think also what's fascinating is from the get-go, she was in the pair with Heather Stanning. And uh, again, I mean, we've sp- we spoke to Grace Prentergast and Kerry Gowler, who were also in the pair. And it just goes to show, like, sometimes you get into a boat with someone and it clicks. And Helen's another perfect example. She got into the boat with Heather and they were immediately really, really fast together. Yeah, I mean, that just reminds me back to, to our interview with uh, Paul Jackson, where he talks about the, the magic of the boat and, like, yeah. the, the element that you can't really put a number on or, or a figure to. And it's just... Uh, those athletes that just click together and yeah just really really cool yeah. and and the, then at uh, her first olympics in london she became the first woman from gb rowing to win a gold medal at the olympics which is incredible yeah i also thought that was pretty crazy i didn't uh, i thought that gb would have definitely had gold yeah. medals on the on the women's side before that but uh she led the charge and yeah and then from that she went into a 2016 olympic uh campaign with a full run of, of first places yeah uh, she won every race that they they competed in so it's really setting the standard setting a world best time during that time and leading up to their, their gold medal at uh, at Rio and I think the other bit of information you guys might need to know is that in 2013 her only season without Heather Heather had to go and spend um, that year in military service so that's quite hectic but uh, uh, Helen got into the pair with uh, Polly Swan and they came, they continued the success of running, came first, 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 and again first at World Champs. So that's the only season that she didn't compete with Heather. Otherwise, uh, from 2014 onwards, she got back into the pair with Heather and she finished off her career with a gold medal in Rio. Yeah, so I think that's enough of us fanboying, uh, fanboying it up. So yeah. just uh, go and really enjoy this episode. Also, just uh, before we get going, uh, remember to, to go give us a a like, uh, leave us a comment, give us a send us an email, uh, any of the ideas that you guys have for the show, anything you want to hear. Yeah. What else, Jakey? And, and also, uh, like Lauren said, any ideas, if you guys want to listen to someone, um, please hit us up with a couple uh, suggestions. We've had uh, Megan Colmer from the States. She sent us a list of her, her wish list. And uh, I believe this this uh, this episode will, is, on, is one of her um one of her people on her wish list so that's another one of hers so yeah, yeah please uh, send us anything we love uh, engaging with the audience even if it's a negative 
comments we, we big boys we can deal with those too so yeah yeah and then we got some really cool comments and uh, feedback on instagram some of our latest posts uh, lots of people just enjoying the show i mean yasmin saying that she she likes what we're doing keeping it up and she's definitely going to be visiting the show a bit more uh we also have uh, some uh good feedback from uh vitz uh, university boat club the high performance center they uh really dig, dig the episode and and learning how how the girls were cranking in the pair yeah. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Grant as well enjoying the, the episode. So yeah, thanks so much. Uh, David R. Gillard also dropping us a message and just saying that you guys enjoying the show. So yeah, keep it coming. Don't forget to go uh, review us and leave us a, a five star and a, and a comment on iTunes. Yeah. And yeah, helps us out. Enjoy the show, guys. Enjoy the, sh- enjoy the episode. Hello. Hello, is that sounding a bit better now? Oh, that's less better, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Perfect. Thanks, we really we really appreciate the opportunity, though, to talk to you. It's, uh, we're really excited for this uh, yeah, episode. No, thanks for having me on. Mm. No, it's going to be very cool. All right, so, I mean, to start the, the podcast off, you, you finished uh, racing in 2016 with a gold medal, an amazing experience. Um, and then maybe chat to us a bit about what, you, what you've been up to recently, um, since uh, since finishing off that Olympic Games with the gold medal? Yeah, well, I guess life has changed a lot. Um, I got married like three weeks after the Olympics, after Rio, um, and then had a year of kind of just doing some challenges, a um, little bit of just sort of training for different things, like running a marathon and a half Ironman and uh, doing a big kayak race and just kind of physical challenges that were really different to rowing. And then had a baby. So I've got an eight-month-old little boy called Logan. Um, so, yeah, life looks pretty different to the way it did four years ago. Um, and then also, we, when we talk to athletes and hear about athletes that go through the retirement process, they often tell, tell you that there's quite a big step. Chat to us a bit about that transition. Yeah, it's a really, it's such a different, a different life. Um, and I guess I haven't actually officially retired so that kind of leaves me in like this kind of limbo which clearly I'm not I'm not rowing at the moment I'm not looking at going back but yeah the future I still don't know what I'm going to do with my life and that's kind of a really a really weird place to be when you're in your early 30s um and I guess for me I kind of knew that it might it might happen you know you might get this big kind of like come down when you when you finish when you step away so I tried to keep myself that's kind of why I had loads of challenges in that in that first year because I wanted to always have something to focus on now I've got Logan I guess I have that to focus on so I haven't actually had that time where you stop and think what am I going to do because I've always had something to do um but I guess the the biggest difference is day to day because you know I'm not I'm not waking up being told you know what the training is what I'm going to do with that day um I just kind of get to decide which is which is um yeah a, a real shock to the system i guess yeah that sounds um it sounds pretty different and then but i mean you've also had like a really exciting uh time like you're traveling around quite a lot and you're doing a lot of uh, really cool stuff with your husband so i mean and obviously having a baby it must be just really really enjoying life at the moment not having to to wake up early to train or, or to do anything too uh too crazy yeah no totally i think every time i start to miss rowing i remember what time i had to set my alarm for and i had 
you know, I realised I couldn't do all the stuff I'm doing now. I'm really fortunate. I'm, um, my, tra- my husband travels a lot for his work and I've been able to go with him and now I'm going along with the baby and having just the best time. And, uh, yeah, it did make me kind of get a perspective on how your my life just result like revolved around rowing um and i know it doesn't have to for everyone i think lots of people like say compared to my pair's partner heather she had a much more relaxed kind of view on that than i did i was like everything in my life has to be rowing it has to be you know has to be like that for me and but i think it, different things work for different people so for that reason i kind of realized now i can do quite a lot of things i couldn't do before well, maybe I feel like I maybe jumped the gun uh, saying that you have retired. Is there is there any chance uh, any time in the future that you might get back into a rowing boat? I think unlikely, but I think I I, I never want to say never. Yeah. But I think that's just there's this weird thing I guess where you people like almost have to say whether they've retired or not, and I just feel like well I'm just not going to row for now, and if I ever want to row again, I I might, but at the moment I don't. I don't see. I'm not planning to. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 quite interesting because we had a conversation with Eric Murray a few weeks ago, and we spoke to him about a similar thing, uh, considering that his his infinite well his uh, partner Hemish Bond has come back into the sport, and maybe seeing if mm. there's a, a comeback in the works. But uh, so we, I mean, we've chatted a bit about uh, what you've been doing now, but I think we should maybe get into. Uh, your start in the sport and I think uh, for someone like you you have such an incredible uh, story of coming into the sport um, especially at a at a later age to, uh, than most people uh, you find that most people start rowing at university or school level but you got ID'd through a talent uh, a talent program in GB and then through that talent program started rowing and and quite quite quickly got involved in the elite system so chat to us a bit about the the identification process and what led you down that path initially? Yeah, I mean, it's mental when I look back at how much my life changed just because of that process. So I was 21. I was finishing uh, finishing uni. Um, when I was younger, I was, you know, a, a good athlete, a good all-round athlete. I was a good sports person. Went to uni and enjoyed myself, parties a lot, you know, left sport behind me a little bit. Um, but I'd always kind of had this little ambition of, okay, sport is, sport's the thing that I love. Um, and then when London got the Olympics, won the Olympic bid, there was this big campaign to get people into like rowing, volleyball, handball, the sports that, um, it helps if you're tall. And I remember literally hanging out of my, of my flat, stealing my neighbor's Wi-Fi to, to sign up to this thing online on the very last day of uni not thinking about it again and then a few months later getting a call to say you're going to be tested um i was tested along with a few thousand people who applied they were kind of tested for basic levels of fitness and strength and basically looking for potential um i was by far the shortest person there um and that led me to be given a kind of an opportunity to start rowing and you're told move to this area of the country this will be your coach now now go get it like just give it a go basically so, to, sorry to interrupt what did the 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 testing sorry? involve like the the physical stuff was that was there any ergo involved uh, at that point 
there was an ergo. There was a there was a I think it was a three minute ergo test. But actually, I found afterwards they didn't really look at that result. What they mainly looked at was an arm leg bite. So there was a step test um, going up to sort of just, just basically seeing how long he could stay on stay on the bike, and they they made it harder every thirty seconds. And again, actually speaking to the coaches afterwards, a lot of them weren't that worried about what actual score you get as long as you were reasonable they were looking for people who could basically push themselves hard they just wanted the the toughest um uh, physically and mentally i guess yeah i suppose that's quite a cool thing to look for is like you're not necessarily looking for the person that has the the biggest uh or the the most skill or like the most talent but more the most uh drive yeah someone that can really suffer is uh, probably more important. Yeah, someone for, who can suffer. Like, like rowing. I guess they know that if if you can do that, they can work you to the point they need to work you to to get fit enough. Yeah, and I think you can also maybe say that uh, you know phys- your physical attributes can always be improved quite easily. I mean, it's literally anyone can go through a routine and and get fitter. But uh, mental, you know, there's certain physical and psychological behaviors and and that are much more difficult to manipulate in order to kind of build a good athlete. Um, Just looking back to those different sports, did you apply for rowing or did you kind of just apply for all the sports available and they were like, okay, let's put Helen into the rowing program? Yeah, I was so surprised when I got given rowing. I I really didn't think I'd be a rower because I didn't really look like a rower. I was was a lot smaller than anyone else there. Um, I was a bit lighter. I... Just did, I, I, I kind of scored quite highly on the hand-eye coordination stuff. There was a, a couple, I can't remember what we did for that, but um, I thought maybe volleyball or handball, but um, I'd, I'd never met a rower. I didn't know in my family rowed. I didn't know anything about the sport. So when I was given rowing, I was actually, yeah, quite surprised. So this is actually, it fascinates me. It's like such a crazy story. Because I mean, if you told me like, okay, we're going to take someone that's 21 that shows some athletic skill at uh, a few tests and we're going to put them in a rowing boat and in a couple of years they're going to be extremely good, I would not believe it at all. And no. yet <laughs> you moved. So then carry on the story then. So then you, you got given rowing and you got given your coach and you got told go to, to this part of the country. So that must have been like a huge uh, lifestyle change or life change for you at that age yeah and I was I was so close to not doing it I remember picking up the phone I remember it ringing and I had to make the decision as to whether I was gonna start rowing or not and I honestly picked up the phone not knowing whether I was gonna say yes or no because I kind of like I had to get a real job I had to like sort my life out after finishing uni get out of debt I had you know it was a bit of the kind of why am I doing this thing that that this, this one person told me I might be good at um but I found a job as a PE teacher uh, near the rowing uh, centre. So I thought, you know what, this is my, I'm 21. This is my last chance. Sport has always been a massive part of my life. If I, I'm going to give something a go, it's going to be now. And so I just, yeah, just did it, moved, um, started teaching in the school and training kind of before and after school. And that was in 2008, and in 2010, I made my first team, the, so, the British team. So what was it? What was your first session like in a rowing boat? And you were like your first ego. Uh, didn't look much like rowing. <laughs> um, I think I actually, I actually 
kind of was much better on the water than I was on the ergo. I was never a natural ergo kind of person. I, I always just, I, I struggled for a long time on the rowing machine to really get it. Um, but the water stuff, it came fairly quickly and fairly naturally. I really enjoyed the technique sessions. Um, I found, I guess because I was really limited on time, I might have an hour before uh, going in and teaching in the morning to get to get a water session done. So you can do a lot technically and improve very quickly when you're new to the sport. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, at a, such an uh, elite level, I'm 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 sort of looking towards the how Oli Ziedler's career, the German scholar, is progressing. I guess when you start the sport at such an elite level, because you're introduced to you know skills and concepts that are already very advanced at that stage. I mean, at school, it's you're not you're not really dealing with you know high end technical and and like physical training, like day to day stuff. Whereas at, at, when you join the sport at, at let's say at your age at like 22. At elite level, there's lots of input, and I guess if you if you're able to manage that, you can actually make massive advancements from day to day and week to week um, periods. Yeah, I guess I never learned bad habits. Um, Paul, who was my first coach, who's now coaching, um, he's been he's been coaching the men's quad on the, the GB team for the last few years. Um, you know, he he was my first influence as a coach and you know so from my very first strokes I'm I'm learning the right habits and the right way of thinking um and even though I'm 21 I've spent my life doing sports so I have I think I had kind of that that level of understanding of how things work I just had I was basically a race against time to get up to the the physical level yeah because then like I mean a lot of uh a lot of people is like on Jake's point is you start rowing when you when you're in under 14 or under 15 and then it's a whole group of you trying to learn and you, you're all messing around just as much. Whereas now it's like really yeah. focused. Uh, the goals are really clear. And then who, who are you sort of training with at that point? Who, uh, obviously you, were you in the single in the beginning and then, and then who was, who else was around you and, and who else did you, you get to train with? I was pretty much in the single the whole time because, um, I was I was working, so I just had to fit it in around around training. And interestingly, Heather, my pairs partner at that time, she had quit rowing because um, uh, she wanted to go into the army. She was in the army. She watched the Beijing Olympics around the same time I started rowing, and she watched it. And she was like, "Shit, I I could think I could have been there. I think I could make it because she knew some of the girls that were there." So she actually came back and started training with Paul roughly the time I started rowing so we kind of crossed paths a few times in those early years but um I was mainly in my single yep. so before before we get on to to Heather and into the pair we just want to finish on the on like the, the the learning aspects of of rowing and I mean you touched on the on learning the physical aspects on like the ergo and the the racing and then the the technical aspects was there anything that you you really struggled with technically or anything that you you really that came really easy to you that uh, that you can that sticks out when you think back I guess when I look back at the thing that I think was probably my strongest attribute was I always had a leg drive I think even when I was rowing like shit like even even when I just wasn't getting the blade in or whatever my legs were always pretty pretty good at firing pretty powerful um I just always had a leg drive really and, and uh, didn't didn't have a massive tendency to open my back up too early and, and inhibit that 
So I think probably, yeah, a good use of my legs from, from early on was, was one of the strengths. Um, weakness was yeah, definitely um, the rowing machine, just getting getting anything that looked like a respectable score. I, I could lift really well in the, in the gym and I could have a really good sort of general base fitness but just connecting that to the to the ergo i just i struggled with for a long time and then and then moving the the transition from the skull into the into the pair and into the sweep program um i mean like it's it's interesting that i think um that you learned in the skull i mean the skull i feel has got so many important points that a rower needs and um I, i'm interested to hear from you do you do you feel that starting off in the skull and spending so much time in the skull prepared you well for moving into sweep sweep uh, rowing? Because I know a lot of people would have started their rowing careers in eights. Not everyone really starts in the single and spends a length of time in the single before moving up. Yeah, I think it did. And I think it was kind of that lucky coincidence of the only reason I really was in it so much was because I was having to juggle life alongside rowing. But I think it made me progress faster because you just know it's it's all you and I think especially the pair I think the relationship between the pair and the single I always find pretty similar um but I I really love the single again going back to Heather she didn't love the single at all she hated the single so I think it's not like a total requirement but for me it was definitely definitely better than being in a bigger crew boat yeah because like the single is like as Jake says, like there's so many crucial skills that you can that you can learn in a single, and then, but like I understand, like you know, there's there's a huge difference between the single because like the single you are so alone, and then straight away into the pair, it's a team, it's uh, it's got like a whole another world of, of the the yeah. the, the relationship between uh, two people. So talk to us about starting out with uh, with Heather and how that how did that uh, take shape and how did that happen in the in the beginning. So she came back from, she had won a world title under 23s, and she, but then she had taken some time out and gone to the army and come back into the sport. And we pretty much were put together because she was working in the army and I was working as a teacher and we could train at weekends. And so we started training together and 10 years later, we were still together, I think. Um, so it's one of those ones which something clicked immediately and we didn't know it, we couldn't tell and I remember looking at the first time we did anything that was timed, the first time on a, on a timesheet, and doing a piece and coming off the water and not believing it because it was we hadn't rowed in the pair very much. We I could tell we weren't rowing very well. We were both I was new to it. She was just coming back. It didn't feel great, but we were really quite fast for how bad it felt. <laughs> and um, I remember coming off and not off the water and not believing it and okay the next week we did another piece together and I was like okay maybe I should start believing the stopwatch because you know that's twice now and we seem to just kind of produce speed um just we produce speed but with loads to work on so that's why it was exciting you know I didn't ever want to be in the perfect boat because then you can't really look at how you could go faster but I was we started to get excited because we were like, okay, we can both see how much we can improve, yet we're coming at the top of a lot of our, our, our time sheets. So, um, yeah, it was it was kind of early on we could see how exciting it could be. 
Yeah, because I, f- I found that very interesting when we when we were looking back at your your um, your racing. I mean, from the first from the first World Cup in two thousand and ten, right up until uh, the twenty sixteen Olympic Games. Besides the twenty thirteen racing season, you spent basically every single race with uh, with Heather. So then, I, I take from the results, and like you said, there must have been that that special spark between the two of you. Um, and then going into your first uh, your first season of racing for the GB team, going to that first World Cup, chat to us a bit about what it was like being part of such a big um, rowing system and going overseas, putting on that tri suit uh, for the first time and competing against the rest of the world. I think it's amazing how much our partnership, our relationship, our boat, everything uh, developed beyond recognition pretty much from that first race to say the last race everything was different like we were the lowest ranked girls on the team we were basically kind of there as just spares as add-ons um we, i couldn't be- i couldn't believe that i was there i couldn't believe that i was getting to put on a great britain vest um i was really really proud i just remember thinking you know after the gamble of starting the sport, after all the work I'd put in, I remember thinking, if this is all I ever do, then, you know, I obviously had ambitions to go higher, but this was a step which I could tick off in a, like, in a really big way. Kind of, I've been selected for a World Cup. That's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, in your, in your first season of racing, you came ninth at the first World Cup, fifth at the second World Cup. Um, you unfortunately got sick at the third World Cup, but uh, after that, you guys won a silver medal at the World Championships after only one season of racing. That must have been uh, absolutely incredible, going from maybe the last uh, ranked uh, pair in the, the women's rowing system to yeah. the top ranked pair, I take it, by World Champs. Yeah, literally in in one season, we made it onto the team. I've been rowing for two years, made it onto the team, and by the end of that year, won a silver medal. It was so weird like it was it was easily the kind of the the steepest part of the learning curve for me and I think the reason it happened so quickly in that time was that when I got onto the team I got a level of funding so I could quit my job I could train and just dedicate myself fully to it and immediately I felt more recovered I felt better I felt fitter I felt stronger I was with a group of amazing athletes who were, you know, I was just absolutely um, sort of sucking up information from. And so I think that escalation looked ridiculous from the outside, but it kind of makes a lot of sense from the inside when you see how much my life changed just in that season. So, okay, so apart from now taking rowing like a whole lot more seriously, what else, like what was the... the what is the progression of the year like? Uh, technically, who, who, what crews were you watching, and like, what are you, what are the big focuses to to make these huge jumps in um, in your racing? So I guess the main things were we got onto the team and had our first introduction to Robin Williams, who's our coach for the rest of our career. So obviously, that's the first big thing was that we we got uh, um, him on board coaching. Um, the second thing I'd say, uh, we, we started watching people like um, Catherine Granger and Anna Bevington, she's now Anna Watkins, um, you know, them working in their double, um, just kind of 
the athletes that I had had nothing to do with until then, just the girls in the eight, the girls in the quad, watching how they train, choosing my row machine. So I was sat beside someone who had a good rhythm, um, lifting weights for people, you know, choosing the strongest people to lift with to make sure I was kind of getting myself up to the top. Um, and also, actually, I the main thing, apart from meeting Robin, was that I had hours more in the day where I was recovering and I was probably getting five more sessions in every week because um, you know I was managing to fit in a, a third session on on um, most days yeah, so doing I was just training then. more recovering harder yeah it's really that's it must have been like it must have been so like uh, another like huge life change where you you've gone from like really trying to squeeze in every training session that you can to like now training being such a focus such a priority and recovery being such a priority yeah it must have uh just like you must have just improved physically and then technically again like almost like being back in the boat for the first time yeah we were also really lucky because that was the world championships in new zealand so it was really late in the year and i remember i remember there being 50 days to go to the world championships and a lot of the crews were kind of like really well formed and really ready and you know not expecting leaks in performance whereas I was like 50 days that's like I don't know an eighth of my rowing career I can improve so much in that you know in that 50 days we improved the load like you know from that last regatta of from that last world cup all the way through to the late uh, world championships we just we just kind of excelled at every single session we were improving so um it really helped with our benefit that we had extra time that year so I mean Carapiro is just notorious or everyone who speaks to we speak to uh unfortunately me and jake didn't race it uh, no. at carapiro but the <laughs> the the weather was outrageous so just talk to us a bit about like the technical challenge of of dealing with uh with the rough weather there and uh and maybe any prep that you you guys did uh going into that world champs um for the rough yeah weather. i guess um in terms of preparation all the way from when we were back at home in the UK it was just the mentality of we go out no matter what the weather um so you know just rowing head down in a crosswind in a headwind um but again technically because we were pretty immature in our in our rowing careers we what we did have was a really long stroke um and actually we watched the I remember watching the video back as a review at the end of that season and um we were I think at some points in the race we probably rated above 30 but for the rest of it we were like struggling to hit 30 and that's not because the weather that's because we just weren't technically good enough to to rate high and row well but actually that was our strength we had a long strong stroke and when we were asked the question what are you going to do next year to improve that we said well we can rate higher and that's just what we did the next year but um in terms of the weather yeah i think we just um the only thing you can do i guess is is keep keep practicing in those conditions um never shying away from it um but i think we probably weren't skillful enough at that point to really think about you know how we row with the conditions it was kind of getting through it and just being tough yeah and then I mean, like after finishing your first season and you you got a silver medal, uh, I'm I'm interested to to listen to when you you actually had a eureka moment and 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 said to yourself, "Holy shit, Helen! Listen, we can actually we can actually go to the Olympics and 
get a medal now we're not just tra it's not like ch we're chasing a, a pipe dream this is actually a tangible mm. objective that you can get when, when did that moment hit you was it after world champs or did you kind of realize a bit earlier that you had the capabilities to take it to the highest stage in the in the sport i think i think it kind of that thought really hit me probably around the time of the world championships i think i was a bit like well I've got a silver medal now. Gold is gold is the next logical step. Like that's all that that's all that's acceptable. Um, I think probably before that though, in the in the summer, watching our improvement and watching the way we trained, there was a little bit more of a buzz from the coaches. And I think I do remember, like in hindsight, I look now and I think other people probably recognised it and were getting excited. But Heather and I just, just tried to keep our feet on the ground, not get ahead of ourselves. Um, and, but yeah, very much after coming into that, into that winter of training, it was like, okay, this has got real, oh, this is, this is a new level that we're aiming at. We're not just happy being selected. Yeah. Oh, and then I, uh, actually, I just was thinking about it. I apologize for asking you about going to, to Carapira to row in the bad weather because, you know, GV is notorious for their rowing in terrible weather. So you were probably going yeah. to Carapira and rowing on... <laughs> This pristine lake and, uh, and like, just this loving life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, talking. I mean, we're gonna jump forward a bit here, but talking about bad weather, the um, the European Championships in 2014. That must have been crazy to 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 race in because I remember watching that and I couldn't believe the the conditions at that stage. I thought they would call it. Oh my god, it was awful. Yeah, it was absolutely awful. And I remember thinking it was one of those kind of pressure moments where actually. We at the in that in that kind of European stage, we were very much favourites um, for that event, and it kind of gave me a real sense of when you're a favourite, you want perfect conditions because you want nothing. You don't want anything that could go wrong. Is going to only play into the hands of your opposition. If you're an underdog, you want it to be. You yes. want it bad weather. You want distractions. You want loud noises because you just think anything that could throw someone else off their game is only your advantage and so when you turn up and you're rowing really well and you're going really fast and you're the favorites and you see shit if if i catch a crab uh, you know that that's virtually impossible to avoid in those in that situation and then someone could beat us and it kind of it doesn't feel fair almost um no, but, but i think we just thought of it as part of our like um you know growing process i guess you know the, the phrase was it could be like this at the olympics and you just have to carry on yeah, and I think it's like it's such a theme that comes across of like uh, good crews that have that idea of like this bad weather can happen anywhere and especially at the Olympics. And it's like, you know, the Olympics is not chosen, uh, the city is not chosen for their, their rowing for their course. course. So no. often the Olympics mm. is, a, is actually really tricky rowing conditions. And, and I think as soon as people start to realize that the Olympics is often the, the most tricky course of the whole cycle then it then they start to have the right attitude of like hey we're gonna go and row and train in any conditions that get thrown at us and that'll just help prepare us for for the end game yeah jumping back now to to the end of 2010 you guys finished 2010 with your, your silver medal at world champs straight into 2011 you guys won a gold medal at the first world cup talk to us about your first gold medal in rowing and what was the, the perspective shift after winning that gold medal towards the rest of the season? Yeah, I guess, I mean, when, when we got that silver in New Zealand, we didn't just 
just going to talk about, we got absolutely, absolutely beaten. Like, New Zealand were, I don't know, something like, I want to say 10 seconds ahead. They were amazing, and they well and truly beat us. So, for us to think about going for gold was really ambitious. Um, but that's definitely, that was definitely the whole purpose of that winter was to was to come back into the summer in gold medal form um and then when we i remember really well turning up at that first regatta um because it's the first time you see anyone you know you start you you suddenly see the people that you've been trying to beat all winter and you this is your chance to, to find out whether you're going to do it or not it's, it's it's kind of a really weird feeling um and when we did win, I think I wasn't surprised. I think it was a new it was a new level of pressure because coming into that last two fifty, whereas before I knew everyone was gonna be surprised if we were there. You know, no one knew who we were. We would we just popped up on the scene and won a silver medal and, and it you know, no one was expecting anything. But now people were watching and um I think I suddenly felt this kind of expectation and as soon as we won that first goal, that expectation didn't leave our shoulders for the next eight years. Um, which is something you you know you have to celebrate because you've worked for it, but it did change my perspective on on that first season, that first year being all excitement, all improvement, all just you know we've got nothing to lose. Suddenly we had everything to lose just within one race. Yeah. So then, uh, like, tell it, talk to us a bit, like, because often we we think about like uh, crew, like athletes need to like learn how to win. It's like uh, something we speak to, speak about in our team, and you know, and often that happens at a, a junior level or an under twenty three level where you're starting to to get the skills and you you starting to re- box at the front of the field and you you sort of realizing that like there's a big difference between you know just making the A final and, and scraping in and then having to to really just survive the, the the A final as opposed to like coming into the A final really strong and then being able mm. to dish up your your best race on on the a final day so so talk to us a bit about uh like learning how to win yeah i think that's a really good point i think that actually there's a lot of crossover from different sports though so i used to be a runner and you get yourself across the line first you know it's just, it's the same it's the same thing you're getting from a to b as fast as you can and there is there are tactics involved there's pacing involved there's self-belief there's all this stuff which which does go from one sport to the other. There's even, you know, if I used to be a hockey player and a totally different kind of um, goal, you know, uh, but actually you've got to handle the pressure. You've got to be totally focused. You've got to know what, what you want and how you're going to get there. So I think you can learn a lot from different sports, but rowing is pretty unique in that in you can be babble to babble for, for so long and you don't actually know which is the stroke that is going to win you the race. Um and so I think the, probably the most important thing I would say for me was practicing that in training. You know, we don't get many chances to race every year. So every time, tar- not not every time you go on the water, but targeting those moments that you're going to go out on the water and you're going to perform and um, putting yourself in a bit of stress, a bit of pressure, wanting to be top of that top of that list. And if you're not top of that list, being pissed off, like, you know, as if it was a proper race because... I think that is going to breed that winning mentality. You can't expect to wake up on race day and it just be there. Yeah, and I think also when we, we when we speak to a lot of top athletes and you know um, anyone actually that's uh, successful in in any kind of field, there's definitely a mentality that a lot of successful people share that um, 
you know, the, the gold medal is not, is not won on race day. You don't rock up to the A final at the Olympics and suddenly decide, oh, you know what? Winning the gold medal yeah. would be great. This is actually, it's a decision that you make years out and it takes many days, many hours, many weeks, many months of dedicated active practice of certain skills and improving yourself every single day to arrive to the A final and take that opportunity. Um, you know, there's, there's a sense that I think a lot of people get wrong that, you know, you kind of hit that eure eureka moment of suddenly want to win, but it's actually something that you, you need to develop over a long period of time. Yeah, that's so true. I think one of the most dangerous things that I hear people get told all the time is that you'll get an extra 5% because it's the Olympics. You know, you'll get the adrenaline, you'll 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 find that extra. And I think, well, actually, if that's true, then that's true of everyone. So if everyone gets the 5%, then there's, then there's no gain you get. Like, you've got to be, you can't wake up in the morning, like you say, and just and just be different. You've got to, you've got to have it every day and that expectation of, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for, for the end goal. Yeah, I almost think it's it's the opposite when you when people start speaking about oh they're getting an extra five percent. Like I think like everyone else is gonna get an extra five percent. Like where am I gonna get my extra five percent to to raise the bar to 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 be able to yeah. raise them? Yeah. So it's it's yeah. Even you, that you've is, got to be there already. If everyone's gonna be five percent better, you can assume you can assume you're not going to be, and you've got to be ready to to win on your worst day. So, uh, we're just going to jump back quick because you mentioned uh, your running and and you were quite a successful runner, uh, especially when you were younger at school. So, just uh, give us a bit of uh, of info on that on that whole part of your life. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I was. I mean, I always loved sports, and then when I went, when I was kind of literally, I mean, I can remember being kind of eight, nine, ten years old, running cross country. Um, and when I was that age, I kind of didn't really think of anything as training. I just did, I, you know, I used to kind of go out running occasionally with my friends. And I remember when I was at that age, I used to beat the boys, which was like a big deal. And then um, got a bit more serious in my teens and ran for England. At the same time, I started playing hockey for England and had to make a choice about which one I did. Um, but I just, I was really lucky that I just, gave everything a go and I had parents who kind of supported whatever I wanted to do um be it swimming or running or hockey or tennis or whatever I just I just kind of gave everything a go um and but also was very competitive when I was in it so when I was running I was very very driven and very very competitive but I think what that did was even though on the face of it me starting rowing when I was 21 sounds really late in life actually I spent my I spent a whole childhood of playing every single sport I could get my hands on and actually not realizing but it was it was preparing me for a sport that was totally different yeah and I I think um you know as, as a child I think you know obviously when you you that age you don't have the you know maturity to kind of think about anything bigger than you know what's what's happening on that day but I think you know one finds that these kind of things that happens in one's childhood has such a massive impact on how, you know, what happens later in life. You know, it's kind of like a, a tiny exponential incremental effect that just gets bigger and bigger each year that you develop. Because, I mean, if you're starting to develop the mental capabilities of dealing with 
the discomfort of pushing yourself hard when you're 10 years old, when you get to 22 and you're given an opportunity to row and go to the Olympics, you know, it's pretty easy to get into that zone and take that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. You don't you don't know what has that effect on you when you're young. You just, like you say, you just kind of are in it. You're just living it. And it's just something that's either happening to you or you're doing or you're getting the, ex- the exposure to. And yet, 20 years down the line, it could be the thing that's kind of really shaped you. Yeah, and like also what's really, really uh, impressive is like I often think that the, the kids that are like the, the kids at high school that are really good at a lot of different sports, often like, so they excel at school at the school level. And then, you know, as soon as they get to varsity, they like their focus shifts onto work and and sort of life just carries them in a in another direction. And they don't they, they miss the like focus of one sport. And like there, how you saying how you like, you got that call and you weren't even sure yet whether you were going to say yes or no. And then you said yes. And then you just get this like huge focus precision onto one sport. And then you just skyrocket straight from there. Yeah, I guess my, my benefit was that I wasn't massively academic, so I didn't really know what I was going to do work wise. So, um, sport was just always a thing. Um, but if you had told me when I, when I took that opportunity, if you had told me I was going to, um, become Olympic champion I wouldn't have wouldn't have believed you I I, I knew I was going to give it my all but the only thing I knew for sure was that I was I was going to try but I I mean two years out from from the London Olympics if someone had handed me a ticket to a seat in a boat that wasn't going to win a medal I would have grabbed the ticket out of their hands you know <laughs> I, I would have just to be yeah. at the Olympics would be amazing. A year on from that, someone would have handed me the same ticket. I would have said, no thanks, I want a bit of medal. And then the year of the Olympics, it was gold or nothing. So it, it changed so quickly. And my, my perception of what's possible sort of changed overnight. So just before we get to, to your the Olympic race, so now you'd finished second to the New Zealanders at, uh, at the 2010 World Champs. And now 2011 comes, you've won the first two World Cups. And then going into the third World Cup is like the the first time you you're gonna race the the New Zealanders and you're gonna and it's the first time you come out on top against uh, these rivals that now are starting to to become like a, that's that's the big rivalry of this Olympic cycle. Mm. Um, was that like a, a a big tick, a big confidence boost to to be able to to put put a, a win over them? Well, in 2011, we actually didn't beat them. We were point. I think point zero four um, behind them um, at um, at the world in bled, but actually we gained a lot of confidence from it because in the run up, uh, basically a few days before, loads of athletes I think were ill. They got a tummy bug at that at that world championships, and Heather and I were, were both got the same bug um, like three days before our final. We raced our semi final really ill, but we carried on. We raced the final. I think partly because it was Olympic qualification, partly because we were kind of like borderline, are we well enough to race or not? And so we did. And actually, so we, even though not many people knew we were ill, so even though it looked like we should lose confidence, just losing, we actually gained a lot of confidence because we were like, well, we, you know, we were that close being so far off full health. So we, we took a bit of confidence into that next season. Okay, so oh, so maybe our uh, world rowing is uh, a little bit off because we were looking at uh, 2011 World Cup 3 
uh, is where it looks like you you, you beat, beat the, New Zealand for the New first Zealand time. For the first time. Oh yes. Ah okay. uh, yeah yeah no that's that's the first time we beat them yeah so it was okay. the world, it was the World Championships that year. Yes. That yeah. So yeah, obviously we, at the World Champs. I remember and the. Yeah. In that third World Cup, I remember turning up to Lucerne and seeing them for the first time and being like, oh, shit, like, this is going to, I think we're good enough to beat them, but you just you just don't know. I mean, they had, the year before in Carapira, they had beaten us by so much. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of relief when we, when we got that win. And then going into 2012, so now you, you, you finished second at the World Champs, and then 2012 was basically a perfect year for you guys. First at all three World Cups, and then first at the Games. Just uh, talk us through maybe the, the, the World Cups and, and how how they went, and, and then how the pressure was going into to a home Olympics. Yeah, I remember the first World Cups feeling a really long way away from the Olympics. Um, and the first World Cup of the year, actually, the New Zealanders weren't there, but the Americans had some really strong pairs there. And I think they were using it as part of their almost final selection process for who's going to be in the pair and who's going to be in the eight. And it was like, I felt, we felt like we were almost part of US trials. It was really, really ferocious racing. Um, And so to come out on top of that was almost the hardest race done of the season. Actually, in hindsight, looking back, that was definitely, we had to work hardest for that win. Um, but getting that, I, I, I mean, I knew after that race that we weren't going to get anything harder than that. I thought if we if we can win against those crews who are like tearing chunks out of each other, then then we can we can do this. Um, so it gave it gave us a lot of confidence. But I mean, on the start line, there was every logical reason that we should win at the Olympics. So there was just nothing saying that that someone else had a chance to beat us but we all know it's sport and anything can happen and you need to be there on the day and performing and so there's definitely that kind of well everything I've done is down for this moment um but one bad stroke could ruin it all yeah and then I mean I mean you the 2012 Olympic Games that you mentioned earlier that was home ground for you that must have been an incredible feeling you know, everyone travel. Most people in their lifetimes that go to the Olympic Games will be traveling to some other country um, to compete. But for you, it was home territory. It must have been an, an amazing feeling, rocking up at the Eton Dorney Rowing Center and being like, you know, people are coming to my country to fight me on home territory. That must have been an amazing feeling. Oh, it was unreal. It's absolutely unreal. And, you know, even, even from, t- from like, you know, a month or two before, we, you could walk around, you could walk down the street and people would be, strangers would be shouting good luck at you. And honestly, goosebumps every single time. Like, it was amazing. Um, and then for Heather and myself, we got, to, our final was on day five of the, of the games. And even though Britain had a really successful games, it was a bit of a slow start and, and, um, we hadn't won a gold until Heather and I won our gold. So there was suddenly a lot of press and a lot of pressure. And we woke up on the morning of our final, all the front news, all the front pages of the newspapers was basically saying, tune in at 11 o'clock because we've got our best chance of our first gold and a picture of me and Heather. And we were the two girls who like didn't exist on the, in the world of rowing two years ago. So even coming to, to terms with that and the morning of our Olympic final was like, I didn't want any of that. I didn't want to see it. I didn't. I just just wanted to keep my head down and just just 
race. Um, but the yeah, the support and the buzz of having a home Olympics, we were just so lucky. Because also, like, not only was it home Olympics, like it's also rowing is like such a big sport in in GB. So the the amount of people, because I mean, oh, I was crazy. I came through to to watch my older brother race and. I mean, we travel to to Eton Dorney every day to to sit in the grandstands, and I mean the the crowds there. I mean that was that's the most insane rowing regatta I've ever been to. The with the the amount of people watching, so there, yeah. it just is like it must have been just absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was like a stadium, wasn't it? And yeah. especially because it's you know you got uh, the stands on both sides of the water. At the start line, you could hear the roar of the crowd, and you didn't have to row for that long until you were kind of rowing past people, you know, six, seven, eight deep of people all watching rowing, like the sport that normally one man and his dog comes to watch. Um, so it was, yeah, it was amazing. And I still meet people all the time who say they were there on that day. Um, and I think it's just, like you say, it's a sport which we really adopt as a nation and people get into and people enjoy. So yeah, it really added to it. So how did you deal with the, the, like the, the bells and whistles and the pressure maybe attached to, to the Olympic games? Like, uh, what is the self talk and the, the talk in the team, uh, to help deal with uh, that sort of pressure and that sort of environment? I remember me, Robin and Heather just really internalizing, like the three of us just became a little unit. We could talk to each other about anything. We, you know, just kind of shared things together and we really relied on each other. And I think we just decided that we could control the controllable. So if we were asked to do interviews and things like that, actually we turned down what we could. I, I just was not interested in becoming part of that media circus. I just, I didn't want to be talking about being favourites. I didn't want to be doing anything. And actually, you know, four years later in Rio, we had to do all of that. We were kind of, you know, paraded around a bit more in front of the press. But we, this is the, this is the kind of the only time we could really, you could only win quietly once, is what Robin said. And so we wanted to do it. We didn't want to kind of put any more pressure on than we needed to. So we just kept our heads down tried to convince ourselves it was just another day just another another race um pretty hard to do when you've got the, all those crowds but that's the mentality we had we said this is just normal it's just us it's the same boat same blades same bit of water just let's just go out and race yeah because i mean uh, uh i lied to you i lied to it for that was why i was there uh, to watch it that was uh our first olympic gold medal for south africa and then the and they spoke a lot about how, you know, the Olympics, it's, it's just another regatta with this like circus attached to, to the side of it. And that at the end of the day, you still have to go out and do a 2K race that you've done maybe a hundred times before. So just to simplify it like that and, and sort of separate the, the circus from the, the actual racing. Yeah, exactly. And then, Helen, you mentioned that you, you were the first... Uh, GB gold at that games but another thing you didn't mention you were also in fact the first um, gold medal for women's uh, rowing in GB as a whole in its history but you were also part of a very successful women's squad at that games because you won a, a gold medal the women's double of Catherine Granger and Anna Watkins won a, a gold medal and then the the lightweight double also won a gold medal at that games chat to us a bit about you know, winning that gold medal. 
Yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the most exciting things about it was that the pair of me and Heather and those two doubles, the lightweight and the heavyweight, we had been training alongside each other all year and we'd been racing each other and we just knew how fast each other were. So when Heather and I got that gold, I think there was probably a sense of pressure that the other two felt, but there's also a sense of excitement, which is like, well, if Heather and Helen can win, we know we, we, know we can. We know, we, you know, the beauty of being in such a big team in Britain is that you get a sense of perspective of who the fast crews are and you're close to them on percentages, then you'll be fast too. And you can, you can get a lot of confidence from watching other crews at regattas. And so by winning, I think, I hope that that kind of gave the confidence to the crews that we've been training alongside that, you know, if, if we can do it and, and they can too. And so, yeah, getting off the water and over the next few days, watching how well our, our crews did was really exciting. So, uh, on the training and the build-up to to the games, who was your like uh, your big competition? Like, who did you train with the most, and and where would did that uh, competition go? So we would often, when we could, we loved racing against the heavy double and the light double, the, the women's boats. Um, so we would be set off, I don't know, a few seconds ahead of the heavy double and try and hold them off. And we were, I think, speed-wise the the pair and the lightweight double are pretty similar so that was amazing training for us just trying to again we were talking earlier about that winning meant practicing winning and we were trying to get across the line ahead of a lightweight double um and a good day would be a day where we where our bowels cross the line first and we get frustrated when they when they beat us and so um I, yeah we were so lucky to just be having that kind of racing pretty much every day in the build-up yeah because it's so crucial to have that uh that competitive training because it also makes training a lot easier than going out and having to do it by yourself uh, when you have another crew next to you it always just pushes you on that little bit extra yeah and then so you've, you've got your gold medal uh from london and now you're moving into 2013 the start of a new olympic campaign I think from from the onset, after finishing um, with a gold in 2012, now you've made the decision to continue rowing into 2016. What was was there any was there sort of a, a perspective change on your part on looking onto the next four years of, of the journey compared to what it had been like before? And if there if there was kind of a perspective change, talk to us a bit about the different the different approaches and attitudes that you took to your training with you know now having won a gold medal and being uh you know being a successful athlete and rower yeah i guess at the time it didn't feel like much of a change i was still you know just absolutely as, as motivated as, as ever and as disciplined <coughs> sorry no worries. um yeah i was as motivated and disciplined as ever but um looking back i probably had to take it it almost became a bit more serious in that I knew the consequences of losing were going to be greater you know I had more expectation you know you win you win an Olympic gold it's very clear what you're going to go back for next time and the expectations there um also I mean your your kind of position in the, in the team changes there were lots of people who retired and suddenly, suddenly I've gone being from one of the newbies to being one of the more experienced athletes that's kind of got a few more of the answers um so yeah, I think that it 
it became I guess I guess I never wanted to rest on my laurels I never wanted to kind of think oh I've done it once I could do it again I always assume that I'm not good enough that's a bit of a, a trait and so even coming back after winning gold I I kind of was thinking well I'm gonna have to do so much more to win next time I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think of something to do to win again next time and so I always kind of carried this kind of ambition of kind of thinking what else can I do I, I can't just be the same person I was in London I've got to be better in Rio and how am I going to do that yeah and then I mean 2013 was a sort of a, a different season you you rode with a different pairs partner in 2013 Heather Standing um, had to serve uh, some time in the military in Afghanistan and uh, in 2013 mm-hmm. you hopped into the pair with Polly Swan Talk to us a bit about, you know, changing pairs partners for the first time in your, your career. And how what how, how was that change uh, in 2013? Any sort of differences that, that or any different perspectives that you took towards your own rowing and the rowing in the pair with a different partner? Yeah, I think I learned so much in that year. I think I, yeah, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about rowing. I learned a lot about partnerships. I mean... I'd only ever rowed with Heather before and I think it was really good for me not to row with Heather because I attributed loads of my success to Heather because obviously that's all I knew and um, to win with someone else gave me a lot of confidence actually in my own ability Um, and to win with someone who, I mean, Polly had just missed out on making an Olympic boat for London so it was rowing with someone who actually I was the more experienced person in the boat and I had to kind of have a really direct, clear um, plan. Um, but also it was ambitious. I started out the season with someone who um, I had never rowed with before, I'd ha- I hadn't really trained with before. And I started out the season and I was very clear. I was saying I want to win a gold at the end of this season. Um, and, yeah, I think I think having that ambition and having less of a crutch with with Heather like Heather had always been kind of reliable and so that safety of us being no we know we're fast together um but also just working with someone who's a totally different person a totally different personality and Polly is an incredible incredible personality an incredible rower and she was in the eight in Rio and brought so much to that boat um and actually rowing with her taught me a lot that I think Heather and I used for the next few years carrying on but you realise that you can't say the same things to the same person and assume they're going to feel the same way about it. You know, I had to change my tone of voice. I had to change the calls I was doing. I had to change the way we spoke off the water. Not in any good or bad way, but just because they're two different people. And, you know, the first time I tried talking the way I would talk to Heather, I thought, well, actually, no, Heather and I developed that over years. I can't expect Polly to read my mind about things. I had to be really, almost go back to square one and say everything I was thinking because we didn't know each other in that context as well as Heather and I did. Yeah, it's such an interesting uh, topic because, I mean, uh, me and Jacob also rode a lot of pairs and, like, each pair it's, has its own identity. You can't assume that uh, uh, the way you rode a lot, uh, previous pair is going to work with a new pair and you have to sort of exactly, de- develop yeah. its own identity. And then also, like, in the year after the Games, that's often a really difficult year for, for a lot of athletes, you know, to get back into it, to get back into to that uh, sort of training and and mental place. So it must have been really nice to, to have that bit of a, a change, a bit of a different challenge. 
and then in that as well you also rode uh in the eight you doubled up in the in the pair and the eight in in the first world cup so yeah just a really different year for you to to experiment with stuff before really getting back into the the next olympic cycle what was it like uh jumping into the eight at the at the first world cup I think we were all a bit disappointed in that, actually, because we had, what we did was, I think we took two pairs of two doubles, <laughs> who, who both raced um, in their event, and then all jumped into the eight. And we had quite high hopes for the eight, we'd be going really fast in training. And I think we just kind of were a bit overambitious with how long, I remember the pairs raced first, so the girls that raced the pairs events weren't too bad, but there was a really short window for the doubles to make it up to the start line um so in hindsight we kind of all a bit disappointed but for me i just loved it because i had no pressure in the eight it was just something fun and exciting and different and all i'd ever known was the pair so it was a really really fun experience yeah i'm sure that it's also like it's we often in south africa train in the eight because it's it's such a fast moving boat and especially around the front end of the of the boat, where uh, connecting on 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 the legs is so much more important because the boat's moving so quickly. You you don't have that much time to find connection, and and you need to be much faster on the catch to be able to maintain that uh, maintain that speed. Did you find that racing in the eight kind of uh, brought some uh, a different a different way of thinking and bringing bringing it back into the pair? Yeah, definitely. And I think also it's a really good platform to practice things because, you know, if you're in the pair and you're trying to work on, I don't know, shape the hands around the front, you you, you kind of don't know what the balance is going to be like every single stroke, especially if you're trying something new. Whereas the eight gives you that platform so you can actually try a few more things and see where, how you are with them. Yeah, and then did you row uh, eights uh, in training and stuff quite a bit as well in the team? Or is that... Uh... It's something that you didn't really do too much. Uh, we didn't row the eight very much. I mean, occasionally if we were away on training camp, we might do the odd day or um, two days sort of cycle in, in the eight, um, which I really loved. Um, occasionally we get out in the odd four, but no, most of our time was spent in the pair. I want to jump forward to, to 2014 and on something that you, you already touched on for the previous Olympic cycle. So in 2012... You had that uh, brutal World Cup where you sort of felt part of the U.S. Uh, women's pairs trials where they were all in the in the race. And then again in 2014, you had this huge race where all the U.S. women's uh, athletes were, were into the pair and it just sort of like made the the racing so much more intense, yet you still managed to, to come out on top. And I mean, it just must be such a, such a pressure regatta, but then also so... Uh, such a confidence booster yeah. to to be able to come th- out on top against them. I think also, I mean, the USA is is I mean, the USA women's program is also phenomenal. So to know that you can get put against, uh, you know, all the when you take the women's eight who are you know have such an amazing legacy in US rowing and women's rowing, you put them all in four and um, all in pairs, and then you guys still manage to beat these top competitors. It must have been a really good feeling knowing that you can you can just compete against the best from other classes and still come out on top oh it really is i mean yeah the american girls are just absolutely phenomenal and just as individual athletes and then together as a whole crew 
they managed to just produce and produce and produce performance. And so, yeah, we were lining up on one of those races and the roll call was USA, 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 Great Britain, China. And it was like, okay, um, you know, you kind of think, okay, I want to, I always say I want to race the best people. I want to race the hardest races. And you can't deny that on a race like that, that's what you're going to get given. You're going to get, you're going to get shown the best in the world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a huge confidence boost when you're racing that kind of athlete. Just for the listeners, that's the 2014 Second World Cup. And if you go and have a look, the whole USA Women's Eight is in pairs and they all make the final. Yeah. So it's just GB and China and then these four... Uh, USA, USA women's, women's pairs, so it was just, and that is a really, really cool race to to go watch as well. Yeah, and then, I mean, we we spoke a bit earlier about rough conditions. Uh, talk to us a bit about your your twenty fourteen um, race at World Champs because you had raced earlier at European Champs, and that was a very tough regatta. But also in um, Amsterdam, that was also quite a tricky regatta to get right with uh, with with the conditions. Yeah, I mean, it was. I remember just being really wet, really miserable. Uh, the wind was in a different direction every day. Um, but yeah, when we raced, it was really fast. It was, well, it was a bit of a tailwind. Um, and I remember finishing the race having won, but being a bit disappointed, actually, because I didn't think we rode very well. And Heather turned around, she was like, we just got a world record. Um, and I didn't believe her, because I didn't think we actually rode very well. But um Clearly, the conditions were, yeah, faster than I thought. So, I mean, that was it was quite a serious tailwind. I mean, a, a lot of world records getting broken. So, yeah, so you saying you, you didn't sort of have an idea that you were going for the world record down the track. You were just uh, in the boat trying to dish up a, a good race and then uh, just surprised at the end with the, with the time. Yeah, I think world records had been discussed that week. But I think, um, you know, you can't... Uh, I think the moment you you kind of think too much about world records, for me anyway, if I start thinking about other things than winning, I almost feel like, well, I've assumed I'm going to win and I'd never sit on the start line assuming I'm going to win. I would always sit there thinking, okay, we've discussed world records, we've discussed winning margins, we've discussed what sort of time we want. Fundamentally, it's about getting my bow ball across the line first. This is a world championship final and I'm going to take it seriously. Um, anything else is a bonus. So I think we always discuss that as bottom line, bottom line, we cross the line first. What would be a great additional extras? Yes, a fast time. Yes, a world record, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think on the day we didn't discuss world records, but I think clearly in the, in the run-up we had probably, yeah, mentioned it and expected if it's fast, we should be, we should be going for that. And then uh, talk to us about like the, the technical challenges of rowing in, in conditions that are that quick. So, I mean, you rode a 650, it's uh that's a really really quick water quick speed and and talk about like the the technical challenges of of rowing in in at speeds that are sort of you're not really used to maybe rowing yeah i think um your body actually is kind of you get in tune with with a certain speed and a certain pace a certain length of race and so when you're not doing that when you are actually rowing fast i think the first thing is that you recognize it's fast I think you have to, okay, so I, I, I finished, I didn't realise how fast it was, but clearly you know you're going faster than normal. Um, so I think you know you have to move your body slightly differently, almost feeling slightly lighter on your feet, 
because you can't if you stop a fast boat you're going to be losing free speed yeah and then i mean when i was looking at uh your, the results and how your your seasons operated it's you know the the gb team did a lot of traveling and competing at uh just different world cups and stuff i was interested to talk to you about um what it's like doing so much traveling and and what kind of what kind of things did you do to try and make sure that despite the traveling that you rocked up ready to race um at whatever regatta you were going to like um because i mean when you're traveling so much you're always under risk of of getting infections getting sick getting injuries you know planes aren't the most conducive environment to staying injury and illness free so talk to us a bit about that Basically, the biggest wake-up call for, for me was in 2011 when I did get that tummy bug. Um, and it was, at, it was at racing and it cost us, potentially cost us the gold medal. And um, it's something I never, ever wanted to happen again. Um, so from that moment on, I was probably a lot more vigilant. Um, hand hygiene is probably the, the number one thing I would always say. Just hand hygiene um, day-to-day when you're traveling, um, be, being paranoid i think about hand hygiene when you're at home um just washing washing hands and um thinking about you know keeping keeping that you know really at the top of the priority list everything else sort of sleep and looking after yourself in your downtime um equally as important as an important but when when i'm out and about i would always just kind of try to make sure i had something like alcohol hand gel or, or anything like that yeah. um which I think it becomes habit. I was, I'm, I'm pretty bad at it now, and I was always pretty bad at it before. But when I thought about it and made it habit, it kind of became quite easily. Yeah. So we'll just uh, move along to the to the big one of becoming a double Olympic champion, to winning the second gold medal at uh, at Rio, and and tell us, talk to us a bit about the the difference between the 2012 race and this race, and maybe the just the the pressure between the two, and and how that went for you. Yeah, I mean, I think being on the start line of Rio, it was very clear that we, we were there. We were unbeaten in, I think, 49 races, I think, um, including the 2013 season. Um, so kind of racing your 50th race unbeaten, being your Olympic final is like, actually, it's a bit of a, it's a great place to be, but it also adds a lot of weight onto your shoulders. And I remember it feeling... Whereas 2012 was probably exciting, 2016 was um, almost intimidating in terms of the expectation and the pressure and, you know, the the press at home wanting to follow our journey from 2012 to 2016. Um, We just didn't have the luxury of staying out of headlines. We, we, you know, managed to do that in 2012, but this time around it was was a real, really different beast. Um, But... I think also we'd had a lot more experience, we'd had a lot more time together and we absolutely knew that it could be done. I think when you haven't won an Olympic gold, you don't know if you can. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you're winning all your races by, you don't know, you've never done it before. So on, uh, in 2016, we know we've, we've done this before. We know logically we're good enough. We know on paper we should win. Um, we've just got to go out and just one more race, produce one more race, do what we do in training um and that was our mentality just do what we do every day and did it feel as good or 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 did you did it feel better winning uh, the second time in a way it felt better because um 
number one, I think you've backed up your performance. You've produced it again, and that's that's really, I think that's really satisfying. But also the first time round, it was like, what the, what the hell just happened? Like this has happened so quickly, so fast, in front of so many people. It just felt too big, too much, too much going on. And in Rio, I think I'd had four years to process all of that, and I was ready to win that time. I was ready to feel that emotion of crossing the line, that belonging. You know, I, I, I took six months to call myself Olympic champion the first time around. It didn't belong to me. It, it was something that felt so surreal, whereas this time I was sat at the start line as an Olympic champion. I was already that thing. Um so when I crossed the line, it was a real sense of, okay, now I can punch the air, now I can be excited about this. I, I totally understand what we've just done and want to celebrate it. Very cool. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's a, it must be an incredible feeling, like, finishing an Olympic cam- a campaign like that and, and solid, solid, solidifying your, your place as one of the best uh, crews of all time. I mean, you spoke about your, your unbeaten streak, winning a double Olympic gold, um, being a European champion, world champion. I mean, you, you guys did the, the, the whole, the whole the, bundle, the whole bundle, um, must be an amazing feeling, but, um, we're going to move into the, the end part of the interview, which we asked, which, which we ask all our guests that come to the show. We call them the quick fire questions. Um, and, uh, starting off with the first one, um, if you could choose any boat class to race at the Olympic Games, which would it be and why? Oh, I'm going to have to say pair. Um, I love the fact that um, it's a small enough boat to know it's you doing the work, but you also get that team element. And there's yeah, no... Really like, uh, yeah. That's the reason I like the pair as well, because it's just that it's got both. It's got the small boat and it's got yeah. the team. It's, it's really, really cool. So then the next one is if you could choose any three people from any time and anywhere in the world to race in a Coxus 4 with, who would your three crewmates be? Oh, no, there's so much pressure. I wish you'd warn me about this. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go um, for Megan Calmo because I think she... I'd love to see her personality in a boat. I think she'd be really interesting to row with. I'm going to go for Matthew Pinsent. Um just someone of his size in a boat i think i probably wouldn't have to do too much work um and oh who else would i want to row with um i'm gonna say karen bennett she's on the team at the moment on the british team and she is a fantastic athlete and i think she's uh yeah she's got a lot of good things going for her I see that's that's an awesome four combination and i i see that you've you've put heather standing on the bench (laughs) I was going to say Heather, Heather needs to do a bit more training so she can come back in she can seat race for that one you don't think Matthew Pinson needs to do a bit of training before he comes back in <laughs> yeah that might, that might be true it might yeah. not all be good weight at the moment yeah so the next question is what is your favourite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again it doesn't have to be one of your own it can be any rowing race um Oh God, let me think. What race? I don't know what year it is, but it must have been in 2009. But I remember, remember um, first getting interested in rowing because I had just started the sport and I watched the World Championships and the race I 
most distinctly remember was Catherine Grange's race in the single. She was winning up until the last 250 and she got pipped. Um, I can't even remember who beat her, but she, it was really bad conditions and she got a silver and it was just phenomenal for her to get a silver, you know, even though she was, she was in the lead at one point. Um, and I just remember thinking she was absolutely fearsome and phenomenal. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just the first race that I remember watching. I just started the sport yet what i was doing was nothing like she was doing well we'll put the we'll go and find the race and we'll put it in the the show show notes for for the listeners to to go and watch an awesome race in the single there's so many epic uh women's single races out there so you might have to watch a couple to and get the right one and for the she was uh beaten by uh ekaterina carsten so tough competition yes it was carsten yeah yeah, very quick, very yeah. quick uh, then competition. The next question is a bit controversial, but you're welcome to answer it any way you want. And it's if you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change? Oh, um, oh, it's controversial. I would potentially think about making the races shorter. I think for our sport to thrive, we have to be um, visually. Uh, accessible and I think seven minutes is a long time for someone to tune in for and I think it will make it tighter exciting and more televisually appealing nice <laughs> yeah that, I mean that's that's, that's a, a very common theme that's a very common theme I mean a lot of the, the guests that we've had have spoken about the 500 meeting 500 meter racing and even 200 250 meter racing oh wow I'll maybe go for 1k 1k okay still keep it semi-traditional there yeah. All right. So the, the next question coming up is the book of secrets. Book of secrets question. Um, it is what is your two kilometer PB on the ergo? Oh, um, genuinely can't remember. It's around six forty-five. You know, <laughs> you must be the only rower in the world to not know that number. No, or it must be. <laughs> no, it must be less. Actually, no, it's definitely less than that. Let me think. Honestly, don't know. No, 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 it must be 44. It must be 44. Okay. 644. Well, I'm, going, we're, I'm going to stay with 644. Were you quicker than Heather? We were pretty similar. I think my PB is probably fractionally quicker. Yeah, we'll let so, get it on to, to double check that, you know. Cause you I was going to say, don't, don't ask her that. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you saying that you're fractionally quicker than the yeah. other one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, for someone for someone that was selling herself short at the at the beginning of the interview on your two K cap- capabilities, I see you somewhat progressed because six forty five is uh, six forty four. Six forty four. Sorry, apologize. <laughs> it's quite a respectable time for uh, you know for women. Um, then the last question is: If you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why? Oh, it probably have to be uh, the 800 meters running. Uh, running was my first love as a sport. Um, and it's the first thing that I did, which I daydreamed about going to the Olympics for. Yeah, I saw when we were doing a bit of research, uh, you did, after the London Games, you um, took part in like a, a BBC game show called Olympic Superstars. And you won that, which I thought was yes. quite... Uh, Quite cool. It must have been awesome going up against people from different disciplines and coming out on top. And you ran the 800 meters in 2 minutes 24 seconds, which is pretty quick. It was a really cool... Yeah, it was... 
I felt like I was representing rowing because everyone always thinks rowers are just are rubbish at other sports. And it was against boxers and um, who else were there? Cyclists, people from judo and swimming and high jump and and all this variety of sports. And I think we did ten different sports and you accumulated points. And uh, yeah, I felt like I needed to represent the rowers to show that we we can do other things. Well, nice. You did a really good job. Yeah, and. Um... <laughs> Thanks, Helen. I think that that brings us to the end that, of our... That wraps it up. That wraps it up for us, brings us to the end of the interview. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Amazing. Yeah. See you. Right. Bye. Cool. So that's a wrap of Helen Glover. A really, really epic chat. I'm sure you guys enjoyed that episode like crazy as much as we did. Uh, that was just really, really awesome and insightful. What else, Jakey? Yeah, just uh, lots, lots that we learned from that. Um, you know, after these these interviews we've had with so many different athletes, you just learn so much, and it's it's getting to a stage where I, I sometimes forget that we we doing the interview uh, to put on a podcast. Sometimes I'm just in the conversation, and I don't I forgot that we if we have an audience to to produce <laughs> yeah, for. I know so exactly what you mean. It's been it's been a great discussion with Helen, and then otherwise, um, thanks for listening. Of course, please again leave us leave us a comment, get hold of us if you wanna. Um, suggest anything if you want to shit on us that's fine also just uh, go and uh, engage with us as, as if you want yeah because also uh, I know we, we were a bit harsh on, uh, on Zach the other day uh, I think it was on Eric Murray part one we're quite harsh on him on some of the comments that he had left us and he approached me at one of the regattas to <laughs> try and defend himself and he said he's going to come with a, with a whole proposal to us so we, we, we're waiting we're waiting and we're ready for it Zach whenever you're ready uh, also just a quick shout out to, to World Rowing for giving us the, the race commentary uh, really makes the, the episode start off with a bang yeah. and just shows us the, the, the quality of the athletes that we're interviewing yeah um, cool that's a wrap from us that's a wrap from us enjoy your week guys and uh, yeah have a good day see you soon ciao Being part of such a successful uh, women's squad. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Cup <Cupsy. laughs>